All right, man, we're live. We are we are live, bro. Yes. Long freaking time. No Long time. Talk. Yeah. So what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. I am Kalen, and I am finally here back with Phil. Um, we're going to be your host today, and uh, we're going to go through another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. And so for those of you guys who are joining us for the first time, the Modern Day Sniper podcast is dedicated to discussing the most up-to-date and relevant information that surrounds the lifestyle and the journey of the modern-day rifleman. Whether you're a military or law enforcement professional, a long-range shooting enthusiast, a hunter, or a precision rifle competitor, you're listening to this podcast because you're dedicated to the craft and like us, forever students on this endless journey of becoming the most well-rounded rifleman that you can be. Damn, I should be on radio. That was Bro, <laughs> you've got that nailed down. Uh, like it's, it, it's going to be cool in a few, you know, months or years when like, you know, people are like looking back to our first podcast and even when I, and then right. like, it sounded like a complete jackass in my intro. You've got that thing nailed down pretty tight. So, so Cody called me after, uh, after he did the podcast with, uh, with me and he's like, it's really weird listening to your own voice. <laughs> oh, like, man. yeah, you, but you have to, like, you just have to, I listen to all of our episodes. Do you really? Yeah. Yeah. I listen to them, you know, whenever I'm doing whatever. And, and, uh, I just, I just like, I like listening and f- trying to figure out, okay, where's the audio quality at? Like is, yeah is the, are you guys having a good experience? Right. So we just want to continue to, to up level this thing and continue to, uh, you know, make it as high quality as we can be for you. Yeah. I, I missed the last, uh, podcast or the live Q and a with, with, um, Jacob, but, um, I don't know if I've had a chance to say thank you to everyone for over a hundred thousand downloads. That is Dude, freaking awesome. Man. Um, thanks for everyone that, uh, is, you know, uh, listening to all my pet words and my ums and you know what I'm saying? I, I have a lot of them. Even when I teach class, I don't know what it is. I, I feel too. like I'm getting a little bit more comfortable uh, now that, you know, we're doing these, these things, but uh, yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. It's, it's awesome uh, to, to get the feedback, you know, whether it be comments on Instagram, um, even, you know, even this last match that I went to uh, down in Utah, you know, uh, range officers and stuff like that, listen to our podcast. And, you know, I'd be like, Hey, thanks for taking your time to RO. And they'd be like, no, man, thank you. Uh, you know, I appreciate I'm a new shooter and uh, I appreciate the content that you and Kalen put out. And it was, it was, it's awesome to hear. Yeah. That's, that's super cool. Cause that's really, man, that's what it's, uh, for, for me anyways, that's what it's all about. It's yeah. not, um, we're just here to communicate information and, and we enjoy doing it. So we, we appreciate all of you guys. We are in business communicating information yep. yeah all so right dude so we've what are we gonna a, about we, we've had a lot of stuff going on guys so you know just a quick recap um modern day snipers had our first couple of courses for the year after all of the coronavirus nonsense that's been floating around the world it's just been um it's been trying but we've been able to finally start running classes here in washington which has been awesome it's been great to get back in front of students. Um, it, you know, we've been working really hard on the online stuff and it's really nice to get away from the camera type thing and, and actually get in front of some humans and teach them how to shoot. So that way you can see, you know, the, the, the happiness and the, 
and the changes that they go through in the four days that they spend with us, which is super rad. So, and I know you've been training too, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're back in the swing of training. It's, it's been awesome. You know, uh, getting, <laughs> I was actually just messaging Frank Galley about this, uh, cause he's in Alaska and I'm like, bro, uh, <laughs> back yeah. in the swing of things and, and like getting in front of my students, my very first class, I feel bad for those guys. Cause like I was all over the place. <laughs> I was missing my timelines just cause like, you know, it was, I mean, it's just like anything else, right? You know, it's, uh, that's the toughest thing about it, man. Oh yeah, That is it literally the hardest thing. The hardest thing about instructing is holding back. Yeah. Right? It's holding really back tough information and, and stuff like that, but it's been good. I'm really digging this new curriculum that, uh, that we're, we're pushing with Gumworks. There's a, a really good flow with, uh, the information and the progression of the students, you know, so that it's not, just a shotgun blast of information. So I'm really digging it for sure, man. That's, that's the, that's the, the, the trick, right. Is to figure out how to not make it, how to give a, a, enough information and not make it a shotgun blast to the face or a giant yep. fire hose for four days. So that way, you know, the students are being successful and not only that they're learning as they go and you're not like holding their hands. You're actually making yeah. them do it. Yeah. And there's creative ways to make that happen. And it's always cool to watch that come together because it's not easy to do. It takes a lot of time no. to figure out how to get the the right pathway. No, I, and I think, I think, you know, there, there's, there's good intentions of people that are wanting to get into the instructing space, right? Uh, you know, because they're passionate, they're passionate about uh, teaching and stuff like that. They, and they probably... Uh, one thing that I learned is that I learned a lot more by teaching someone else than actually learning it myself. You know yep. what I mean? And I think that's what led me down my path. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I, I don't think, uh, you know, two, three years ago when I was teaching the Gumworks curriculum, uh, it, it's as efficient as now. And it's almost like I, I would want those students that took me or, you know, two years ago uh, to come back, even, even at cyber school, right? When I was teaching there. Totally my 2015 students to 2016 was completely different. I was actually just talking to Sean only about this, like, you know, cause 2015, let's say one tack 15 comes through a whole year later. I have now one tack 15s pigs cause they're hogs. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they, they go, they go back to their unit and then I'm getting text messages like, Oh shit, you're teaching this now. Where the fuck was that? And you know, last year it was like, Hey man, like, you know, time rapid, rapid, yeah, progression. Rapid, rapid progression. Right. And, and uh, you know, it's like, you know, the man, yeah, just so how we, it is. We have, did you ever use an acronym called R2P2? Yeah, R2P2 for, uh, for, um, it's for getting ready for, uh, pretty much mission planning. Yeah. Uh, so, rapid, so like uh, response, uh, planning process, rapid response planning process. Yes. Right? So, yeah. So yeah, so uh, the rapid response planning process, man, that's curriculum development. Yeah, um, and perhaps we'll do. Perhaps we should do an episode eventually on curriculum development. Um, you know, uh, Cassandra and I were talking about that, and she's looking also at like, okay, well, what go, what goes into developing a curriculum? Yeah, and it's it's a process that takes time, and it's a process that like you, you have to it's, it's like the epitome of reverse planning and that's, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now, but, but I think we should definitely have a conversation on it. It's a good one. Yeah, no, I think, um, 
you know, one thing I know that you and I wanted to talk about, you know, while we're in the topic of, you know, class and curriculum and stuff like that is something that we've always wanted to talk about on a podcast is what it means to be a good student. Right. Mm. Um, I think that is, uh, something that's long overdue. I think, you know, especially with you, you know, pushing out, um, modern day sniper, the online curriculum and stuff like that, online training, uh, that's huge for this industry. Um, you know, nevertheless, nothing, nothing is going to, you know, replace actually being hands-on. Right. And that's one thing that I've seen firsthand is like, you know, when I'm interacting with students and, you know, whether it be body positioning or whatever, or even, you know, able to explain simple things as parallax, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just see those light bulbs come on because of that engagement, right? Um, Because they can sit there and watch a video, you know, a hundred times and it just still doesn't like click, right? Yeah. Um, But then, you know, so you got your, your good students and you got your students that like, it's like, why did they even show up, right? If they're going to question everything. I'm not sure if you've had that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Ben and I have had our, our fair share of guys, especially on day one when there's a lot of technical information coming out there uh, of the circle of components. You know, they start questioning a lot of, of what we're saying. Uh, and it's like, it's like completely going against what they read or what they, you know, what, they, what their understanding of long range shooting or the components are. Right. Well, it's, I have had those, those students and, and they're challenging and it's good because it makes you think, you know, it makes, it makes you always put yourself in check and go, okay, well, you know, these are, there's a boundary though, right? You, you understand that if the individual is doing it on purpose, then, then obviously there are some other issues that have to be addressed, but if they're legitimate questions, and, you know, maybe this, maybe that person was like, uh, all right, dude, I've heard all of this crazy stuff about all of these things, all these things. And I want to make sure that I'm asking all the right questions. And they might have a, a whole litany of questions that they want to ask you. It's kind of rare, but then again, like I, I say, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And so a good student in my, in my, this is all my personal opinion, of course, but it's uh, it's somebody that that shows up to uh, first of all shows up right. So just showing up is the biggest thing because for a long time and even now it's like um, uh, we look at people that that spend a whole ton of money on gear and then you'll, they'll never go to a training class ever 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 and and that's fine that's cool that's totally cool that's that's you do you. But at the same time, you got to look at it and say, well, a good student is somebody that's going to say, all right, I really want to make sure that, that I'm learning from the ground up, right? In the right way, quote unquote, the right way. And everybody knows that like, look, man, we want everybody to go seek instruction from as many different people as possible because that's, what's going to make you the most well-rounded shooter out there, period. Um, and I, you know, I think like if anybody's bogarting information, um, there's, you know, other things that are going on that you should probably be aware of and be like, Hey, yeah, I'm kind of like, why are you bogarting information, man? Like there's nothing, there's literally nothing out there in our world right now in terms of teaching the, the, the fundamentals, the yeah. basics that is proprietary, nothing, absolutely nothing. So like, 
just showing up and being ready to learn and saying, okay, man, well, I'm just here and I want to be a good student. I want to, um, I want to do exactly what they ask me to do because their process is their process. And, and mm-hmm. I want to be able to try to get something from that process. That's what I'm here to do. So why else are you showing up to a class? Yeah. Right. So I've had to have those conversations with students in the past. Um, you know, I was, I was teaching a course and uh, the way that I, I, I partner students up and then we shoot kind of like unknown distance. Like we used to shoot unknown distance. Yeah. yeah. And, and that gives me an eye that what that does is like, I let them, I let the, I let our students shoot on their own for, I don't know, hour, hour and a half to build some data, not be super stressed out, learn what, what they've been taught. And it's almost like open range time. Yeah. And then we do, I, and then I go, okay, let's, I'm going to, I want to listen to each and every team, how they communicate. Yeah. Right. So then we put them through that, that same course of, um, all right, team one, target one, go team two, target one, go. And you know how, you know how it works. So that way I can hear how they talk and I can hear the communication. And sometimes it's hard, especially if you're a larger class, there's like eight teams out there. And, um, I always try to sit center line so that way I can observe the target and see what's happening and get, it's not the greatest perspective from the far right and, or the far left. It is what it is, but I want to hear him communicate. And this, this one team was, was having a super hard time with wind calls. And I would say, no, 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 no. I want you to hold this, this wind call. And I'm, and I want you to look at what happens, right? I'm talking to the observer, I'm coaching them. and like they would go the opposite direction, like the bullets. And I'm like, what are you doing? What is wrong down there? So I send the AI that I had, I'm like, Hey, can you just go listen to what they're saying down there? And every time I would give them a wing call, the guy would say, no, 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 man. Don't do that. Do this, do this, do this. And so the guy comes back and he's like, Hey, they're doing that down there. Yeah. What? Okay. Sounds good. So I call the line cold. I bring everybody together. And I'm like, hey, hey, did did did, that, did Sergeant Wojcik come out? No, not at all. Oh I, man, I was... no, because it's like it's like, dude, you're paying to be here. I can't get mad at you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's not the Marine Corps anymore. Yeah. So I just basically said, hey, check it out, guys. Like, I get it. You guys are paying customers, and that's cool. I'm glad that you're here. I'm really, really happy to have you. Um, but at the same time, just know that that you paid to receive information. And if you know that information, that's cool. All right. Sounds good. Do your thing. But just know that if you're purposefully not receiving that information, I'm not going to give you any of my attention. I'm not going to work to to correct it. I'm just going to go find somebody else that really is open and receptive to receiving information. Yeah. And it was like, everybody got super quiet and you know, I didn't single, I didn't call anybody out. Like a lot yeah. of times I hear people are like, you're not really that mean. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? There's people that are mean. Like, what are you talking about? They yell at you. And they're like, yeah, like I get yelled at for like not doing a mag change the right way. And I'm like, dude, whatever. Like we're not, yeah, we're not, this isn't like saving lives right now, man. So just be mellow and enjoy your time. <laughs> like this is not a big, this is not that big of a deal. So I, that's the way I look at it anyways. And it's like, I don't have to do, I don't have to do that anymore to I make you identify, Hey, 
it is what it is, man. If you don't want the instruction, then fine. I'm not going to give you instruction anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between, you know, a, a good, a good student and a, and, and a, not necessarily a bad student. I don't want to say bad student either, because maybe that individual just needed to have somebody go, Hey dude, this is a, this is what you're doing. You might not realize what you're doing, but you are doing this. Yeah. So it's just, that's a, a, that's, a, that's a good point, right? Everyone, I mean, everyone doesn't really know what they're doing until like, until someone brings it, you know, to light. Um, you know, I would say a good student is someone that uh, is not afraid to ask questions, but the right questions, right? You know, you, you always get those kind of like brown nosers, right? It's like mm -hmm. they ask the questions that are, they already know the answer to, but they just want to, you know, <laughs> they, just, yeah. they, they just want to be heard, right? Um, that's fine. But, yeah. And, and then, you know, that, but that, that tells me that he's being receptive and, you know, he's understanding information. Um, you know, it, but it's, it's hard to sometimes, especially I think with, it's like going to a gun store. I mean, it's like, you're so intimidated by with, you know, of, of not knowing, right. You don't want to sound like an idiot. So I, I feel like sometimes, um, questions are not asked because they don't want to be that guy. Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, That's and, a big and, deal. Yep. And, but at the same time, that goes back to the instructor on how, um, what was the word I'm looking for? Uh, how approachable he is, right? Sure. It, based off of, you know, his, um, you know, based off the way he presents himself, um, you know, if he's setting up any barriers or, or whatever, um, I, I think that's, that's important too. Um, so, yeah. A lot of, a lot of this also has to do with the, the topic of emotional intelligence, right? So yes. um, that's a, that's a really good book that kind of basically the whole, the whole gist of that book is to, is to say, okay, like if you're interacting with this person today, um, are you thinking about like, maybe they're not being a very, maybe they're not being very pleasant, right? Like yeah. there could be just a shitty mood and you're, you're like, man, well, fuck that guy. You know, like you, you react to it, but you know, having the, uh, having the ability to say, okay, well, is that really how that guy is like, or is he having a shitty day? Um, you know, what, what's going on in, at, in his home life, what's going on at, at work. You know, there's all these things that, that we have to deal with as, as human beings that can affect how we interact with other people yeah. and whether you like it or not, like it is a thing. And so I think understanding that has a lot to do too with being a good student um, and knowing that you're like, Hey man, I'm coming here to, to learn mm -hmm. and I need to be receptive, right? I, I need to be receptive to this. And there's, um, there's, uh, actually a, a teaching, um, I want to say it's, uh, it's a, it's a yogic teaching and it talks about like, um, being receptive to information and actually like being a good student and what that means. And I, and I hope I don't, I hope I don't screw this up. Um, but it has to do with, um, jars or like, um, pots of liquid, right? So, you know, if you, if you, if your brain is in a point where you're saying, I'm, uh, I'm pouring water right into the pot and if my pot's turned over, the water's going to hit it, but it's just going to fall off of it, right? It's going to roll right off the top of the pot because it's overturned. It can't receive anything. Yeah. And 
And there's a lot of parallels that you can draw with that when it comes to students or when it comes to just humans in general and being receptive to learning yeah. uh, because a lot of that has to do with ego at the same time. And we can definitely talk about that because I think that's a huge one. I think we talk about ego a lot in our podcast, but yeah, it's good. It's fucking good. Everybody needs to talk about ego and get yeah. real with because it's like, yeah, you need to. So then there's another one where, um, you know, your pot, your, your pot's the right way, but it's got holes in it, right? It's got holes in it. And so the holes would represent like, again, another facet of your ego. Yeah. You're taking the information in, but it's just, it, you're not absorbing it. You're not, whether you're willfully not absorbing it or um, unconsciously not absorbing it, um, which goes back to those four phases that we've talked about in the past, right? Yep. And then there's the other, the third one was a, a, a pot that was right side up, but already inside the pot was poison, mm. right? So if you like, okay, yeah, I'm taking all this information in, but if my, if my ego is, is so intense that it's not letting me receive that information, then I'm, it's being poisoned before it even has a chance to take effect. Yeah. So um, I, I thought, you know, I, I kind of related quite a bit to that. So, um, I thought it was pretty good when it came to talking about being receptive to learning. Yeah, that's good. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. You know, um, another thing that I, I think a good student does is take notes, right? Um, regardless if there's a handout or not, um, you know, we don't, uh, Aaron, we don't uh, push out handouts because, you know, sometimes we get those guys that are looking to start their own curriculum and it happens. Right. Um, so, you know, the information and in our PowerPoints that we say we share, like, yeah, it, like it's all public knowledge, but the way in which we put it together, it's like, I mean, it took a lot of work. Like right now we're, we're doing the, the PowerPoint slides and stuff like that. It's like, mm -hmm. I mean, that's just not easy, you know? And, and, and no, granted, like do I teach off of PowerPoint, the PowerPoint is there to guide me. It's got some cool, you know, it's for our visual learners. It's got some cool pictures and stuff like that, that it's hard to draw on a whiteboard. But really, I mean, I, I could teach the same exact curriculum off of a whiteboard, right? Um, same way. So, but, you know, I, I think one thing that I do see about my receptive students, my good students, is that they always have uh, note-taking gear and they're always taking notes. And they're always sure. like, hey, can, can I, uh, you know, can you hold that slide for, you know, just a second? Mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to write that because to them, it's telling me that they're engaged. Right? Yeah. Because, and, and that's also like, that can also be just a sign of somebody that's really in tune with how they learn individually. Yep. Right. Yep. So you can take these, you, you can actually go on the internet and take these tests. We're actually working on one for modern day sniper about yep. your, your method of learning or receiving okay. information. So there's three methods. There is a visual, right? Visual learners. Yep. Um, there's, uh, auditory learners that they can just listen to information and it clicks. And then there's, uh, kinesthetic learners, which means they have to actually do it with their, their own hands to make it click. And most people will have at least two primaries and one alternate. I did not, I did not know that. Yeah. So we've been, I've been doing a little bit of reading on it. I find it, I find it kind of fascinating too, because, um, looking also at like, uh, the environment that the students in when it comes to learning, 
um, like as an example here in Yakima, our first PR one, one one course, like the weather's been freaking beautiful for a month and a half. And then the day before the course hits, you know, it's going to be 93 and the whole four days of the class, it's going to be in the you know lower nineties. And most of our, most of our clients are going to come from, you know, West side of Washington or West side of Oregon, something like that. And, or, uh, or Idaho, Montana, stuff like that. So they show up and they're getting blasted by this 90 degree heat. And some of these people aren't used to that stuff. Right. So you got to take that into account when you're, when you're trying to get people to learn. Yeah. Right. Cause when I first started, I was like, man, we're just going to, we're just going to burn them down. Right. We're just going to do this. And like, if they're tired, this is awesome. And so, <laughs> you know, you know exactly what I'm uh, talking about. I'm laughing because like, it's so true, right? Yeah. And then because it's, you're still living at that point in time, you're living in, in your ego, right? You're like, yeah. yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. I did it. I did it. Right. Yeah. Like I went through it. <laughs> so, um, but then you start to realize you're like, fuck dude, these guys aren't learning shit because they're not yeah. used to this. And, and then you go, okay, well, what's my job right now? Is my job to teach or is my job to just break it off? So, <laughs> so like, what are you coming here to do? You're coming here to learn. So, yeah. you know, it, that is also um, observing good students, right? Yeah. You can identify with those, especially with those atmospheric type stuff, like, you can say, all right, this dude switched on and I can tell that he's starting to kind of lose it at this point in time. And usually when it's super hot out like that and you're not um, under the shade all day long, dude, you're looking at, Oh dude, you're burnt. Six hours. Yeah. You're burnt out, dude. Six for sure. Max. Your brain is mush. And yeah, I mean, even, you know, it it doesn't matter how long you spend all the day out in the sun. Like, you're, it's not good. And then same thing goes for the cold, right? So I've done, I've, I've made the mistake of trying to do winter classes here in Washington, Eastern Washington, and it never fucking works out. It's always yeah. shitty. And we started, there was one class that we started at like, oh, started shooting. It was about nine degrees outside and it didn't get above 17 the whole time. And you're just like, okay, well, even something as simple as loading a magazine at that point in time gets difficult. It's yeah. it's an effort, and you see the students that are just like going through the motions, um, and when they're going through the motions, like you have to pay attention to that. Yeah. It's time to stop. And so, yeah. like observing students and observing good students helps you identify that stuff. Uh, yeah, and I think that goes back to our, our podcast that we want to talk about. You know, selecting a good instructor, right? and uh understanding what you're looking to get at for for training right um and there's people out there that want to get slayed for three days right i mean that's just that's just their cup of tea and uh you know my thing about that is like i mean just just join the military and you'll get slayed for four years and play fuck bug games right but have at it bro like if if you come to me guess what like i'm gonna try to teach you as much as i can you know, in that short amount of time, um, you know, that's conducive to the topic. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I mean, this just, this mountain course that we did in, in Utah, you know, we had to climb down this hill and, 
uh, you know, that, I mean, that was just a ball buster just getting back up it for some of these guys. Right. I mean, all in all guys, what, it, what, what it means in our, uh, in our collective view, what it me- makes a good student is saying, Hey, you know, you're open and receiving knowledge, right? You're open to receiving knowledge and you're open to saying, all right, well, um, I'm going to give, I'm going to give as much effort as, as I can, right. In this, in this time period. Um, because realistically, if you're, if you're spending your money to go to a training course, that means that you, I, that you understand that you're either deficient in an area that you wish to improve upon, or you are, um, you wish to learn new information, which I guess you could call it a deficiency, but it's different. Um, just be on, just understand that like, Hey, we're, we feed off of you guys too. Right. As teachers, right. 100%. So, dude, if your class is, is kind of mellow and kind of like, well, you know, it's like, all right, well, I guess you're going to go shoot some guns. Yeah. But, but if they're, if those guys are jazzed and they're amped and they're just like crushing targets and they're having a, a great time and you know, the, and the energy's flowing like, yeah, it's, yeah, let's do this, man. Let's have yeah. some, let's have a blast and crush some steel. This is yeah. awesome. Yep. No, yeah. I mean, there's, there's times in, in the classroom session, my goal, especially on day one, because day one is, is, uh, uh involves, um, circle of components and fundamentals of marksmanship. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's this last class with Sean Utley, I threw a little, you know, what I learned from you. Uh, cause it's like, I never like thought of it. Right. Um, it's like the fifth component, right? So you got the rifle, yeah. you got the scope, yeah. the, you've got the range finder, You've got um, uh, ammunition, and the fifth okay. and final component is the shooter. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> yeah. So you right, and and I was like, boom, <laughs> and I was like, dude, why didn't I ever think about that? <laughs> yeah, it's like that's that's it. Like that's a, you know, everything else has once. It, like that's that's why we did that course. That's why we yeah. did the circular components course. Is just yeah. to highlight. It's like. Yeah, man. Once all this stuff is working, once that all is spinning like a gyro and everything's, you know, interacting with one another the way they should, the, yep. that thing's going to do its own thing. You know, a, you know, a great rifle, you know, you know, will outshoot us all, but we still have to shoot it still at the end shoot. of the day. Right. So right. yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next thing that I think we wanted to talk about or are, are, are kind of flowing to is, you know, now that we're kind of talking about, okay, what makes a good student? Um, I know was because the question got asked me today. It's like, all right, you know, what is the difference between a bad shooter and a good shooter? And what is the difference between a good shooter and a great shooter or a phenomenal shooter? So was that a student's question? No, it was actually a, a, a question um, that Sean Utley had asked me oh. for an article. Um, and like I wrote some stuff out, deleted it and wrote some stuff out, deleted it. And I, I'm still trying to figure it out. And, and I, what I like talking to you about is like, you helped me kind of engage some of my brain cells and what I had written wrote down is something along the lines of, you know, uh, it all, it all goes back to the understanding of, of the, the basic fundamentals of marksmanship, right. And, and time and repetition. Okay. Uh, a, a bad shooter doesn't know what he doesn't know right? Uh, a good shooter knows what needs to be done. 
uh, but still find finds ways to take shortcuts uh, because it knows he's still going to be successful, right? Uh, a great shooter has a discipline not to take any shortcuts, right? And then starts questioning uh, everything that he's been taught in pursuit of his own truth. I can, I can dig that. That's, that's a really well thought out response to that question. Um, we had initially chatted about this before the podcast recording. And, um, you know, I think from, from my perspective, it's how well-rounded you are. Yeah. Right. But I like the fact that you, that you, that you're bringing in, um, you know, searching, right. Seeking the, seeking the answers. Yep especially if you don't understand what they are, uh, perhaps you can execute a task and you can execute it really well, but you don't understand how you're getting to that point. Right. Yeah. That's again, that goes back to being a good student um, and saying, Hey, if I can do this, but I don't know how I'm doing it. But um, so can you help me out? Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. But as far as that goes, um, I think being well-rounded is important. Because, um, you know, we can all, we, this is a topic that we could very easily get on a soapbox, you know, and talk about and say, oh, well, you know, I think that, you know, it should be this, uh, these personality traits and it doesn't have to be that way. It just has to be, um, it just has to be being proficient, right? Being proficient and, and well-rounded. And what I mean by well-rounded is like, okay, so you might be able to run, you know, you might be able to run your competition rifle really, really well. Um, but can you pick up an open site M4 carbine and hit a target at 500 meters with that consistent, you know, consistency consistently, or can you pick up a handgun and shoot at a, standard NRA bullseye at 25 yards and put 10 for 10 in, in the 10 ring. There's not many shooters that can do that. And so because all of, and that's what we, that's what we try to teach, right? Is that all of those fundamentals for shooting in general, all apply to all the different disciplines. They all cross over. Yeah. Regardless of, regardless of the platform that we put in your hands, when we teach you the fundamentals, when we teach you shooters checklist, all that stuff, like it all has to do with obviously a rifle, you know what I mean? But the same thing translates to a pistol. You know, Dude, uh, the same thing translates to a bow. Yeah, like I yeah. shot, I shot archery for a while after I got out of the Marines and archery is freaking tough, man. It's, yeah. there's a lot going on because your body is more connected and you have, um, you got a lot more weird things that you can do to the bow follow through is incredibly important. Trigger control is incredibly important. And then you have this pesky thing called target panic, which after learning about target panic as a, as a bow shooter, like that is a big component of all the things that we talk about with regard to like errors and trigger control. Yeah. It's my personal opinion anyways, that a lot of that stuff, the the errors that we see is it's like target panic all wrapped up into one thing. Right. Yeah. So, um, stuff like that, that's looking for those things and, and like trying to dissect those things and figure out what they are and, and dig into them. You know, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are like that. And yeah, so I mean, they might not, they might not, you know, they might not win matches, you know, they might not, they might not give a shit about shooting matches and that's fine. And that's actually probably a good thing because 
that keeps them focused on what it is that they're trying to accomplish for themselves in their pursuit of knowledge and, and proficiency. So I would say, yes, that has a lot to do with that separation between being a good shooter and then a phenomenal shooter. Yeah. It doesn't mean yeah. that you win shit. It just means that you're, that you're on this, that you're on the journey and you understand that you're on the journey. You're, you're constantly, you're, you're constantly fine tuning. Right. And, and, you know, regardless of you hitting a target, you know, it's like, that's black and white, right? Yeah. There, you know, you're always, you know, questioning, is there a more efficient way? It's same exact thing with me. Right. It's like, it's like, yeah, there are times that I'm stuck in my ways. Absolutely. But you know, when I'm training and I finally put the camera down and I'm not trying to, you know, drop a magazine on fucking camera or whatever the case might be. <laughs> Dude, I told you. Just, just the other day, or it was the other like month or week when I saw all these social distancing posts and stuff like that. I'm like, come on, man, just get, tell me what you're training about. I literally tried the buttstock in every which way, uh, in every which way, right? Like I tried it your way, I tried it high, I tried it low. I just couldn't get it, you know. I shot a couple targets. I was like, dude, I just like it the way it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that it is that's going to you know, like discovering my own truth, right? Of like, hey, you know, do I like it? You know, maybe I didn't try it another way. Um, you know, and, and then going back to right uh, my support hand. You know, I'm always off a barricade, I always get the question, well, do you put your hand on top of the scope or do you put it on, you know, uh, up along the uh, foreign? It's like, you know, I, I, I know guys like Jake Bibbert or, or uh, uh, Nick Adarzi, great phenomenal shooters, and they do really well with putting their, their uh, support hand on top of the optic. It's just not for me, right? I, it's not for me because I don't like the recoil impulse. I just feel like running it at the support side along the foreign. It's just, you know, it, it maximizes for me uh, my ability to manage recoil so I can see my impact in the mm -hmm. case that uh, I don't have a good rifle to shoulder connection or whatever the case might be. So, you know, I, I'm always dabbling in these small, uh, uh, small things. And, and, and when I find something, right, I, I find something that's like, okay, now I got to work this into my routine mm -hmm. because, you know, just like this past weekend or two weeks ago, not this past weekend, but two weeks ago at the national rifle league, uh, Utah dog Valley match, I mean, there's a couple of times that I just did what I normally do. You know what I mean? But if I had time, then I would consciously think about, okay, hey, I remember doing this in training. I'm going to try it here if I can think about it, right? But if I, if I don't have that time window, guess what I'm reverting back to? Mm -hmm. what, what I know, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, so, you know, I, I think that, that that's really what defines for me now the difference between a good shooter and, and a great shooter. Because a good shooter, right, he's going to apply everything, right, that he's taught. You know, the bonus board, muscle relaxation, natural point of aim, he's going to apply a shooter's checklist. But does he know why? Does he know why all of those things apply to his shooting fundamentals? Does he know why or how now based off his understanding of it and his mechanics – you know, what might influence it a lot better or worse, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I think that's where that delineation starts to starts to happen. Yeah. I, that's, that's a great, that's a great point because, you know, trying to figure that out for yourself is, is important because I mean, even like, even we do it like, okay, I was shooting, uh, I was shooting the, t uh, the 21 dot drill um, that Jacob and, and Frank shot and still shoot all the time. And it's a, it's a dot drill at a hundred and it's on a time limit 
and um, it's shot. The standard is like a one inch, it's a one inch dot and you go through various types of positions and things like that. And it's challenging because it, it will screw you up if you're not paying attention. Right. So, and I noticed I, I, I dropped, I didn't drop them. They were liners, but they were both distinctly at nine o'clock. And I was like, man, what, what was that all about? And I, and I noticed, I just, I just started to go back in my mind because I'm, I'm going through my checklist, my mental checklist every single time. And I noticed, I was like, yeah, you know what? I think that last one, the last one that I, that I pushed to the left came, I just got a little bit too choked up on the trigger. And as I pulled, as I pressed or pulled on the trigger, because I was too choked up on it, it, it moves the sight picture to the left. Therefore it lands on the left. And it's the little things like that. It's the little, little, little things that make a difference. And I'm shooting, and I'm shooting that drill with, with a work gun that's set at, with a three pound trigger, which means that if you don't get it just right, it's going to let you know. And that's why I like to shoot those, uh, those quote unquote heavier triggers because yeah, man, like it's going to let you know and you're going to be able to tell, right. As long as you're switched on and tuned in. I have a confession to make. What's um, that? <laughs> my competition rifles have definitely made me sloppy. Um, and, and I see it, right. I saw it, you know, coming back into the swing of uh, uh, school season and obviously demonstrating with um, the uh, uh, six, five Creedmoors that are in our Magnuses, right. That are mm, 10, 11 pounds with, you know, three pound triggers. And I mean, there's a couple times that like, you don't, I mean, obviously the, the average shooter is not going to see it, but I knew, right. Like, it's like, man, I'm like, I'm, I'm jerking the fuck out of the trigger or whatever the case is. And, and, you know, I was like, all right, I need to, I need to get back to a three weight. I need to get back to a lightweight rifle just because, you know, you start again, going back to taking shortcuts, like, trust me with a 22 pound six Creedmoor, like there's a lot of shortcuts to be taken just to hit impact on target. You know yeah, what I mean? You can get away with so much more. And 100%. We had a class, um, just, uh, just yesterday. Um, it was a one day kind of intro to long range type stuff, guys that were interested and wanted to kind of get a taste. And, and so like, they're like, why, why about this? And asking tons of great questions, really, really good questions. But I was explaining to them, I was like, okay, I want you guys to shoot this rifle right here. Right. They take the, you know, my, one of my competition rifle, the six millimeter that weighs it mine's not even heavy as yours mine's like 18 pounds um and i shoot a a pound and a half trigger on that gun and uh they shot that and then i said okay now go try to shoot this rifle right here and it was a uh it was a 300 rum a 300 rum somebody bought brought a 300 rum and they were like man this is totally different and not only is it different this thing is easy like all I got to do is just like lay there and don't move and pre- and like press the trigger and it hits shit yeah. where that 300 rum over there, that thing's a pain in the ass. Yeah. All right. And it's, and it's like, you have to show people that and do a side side, side by side comparison and say, okay, this is why right? yeah. people are like, Oh, well, what's the difference, man? There's a lot of difference. There's yep. a lot of difference. And so, um, again, I think that ropes right back into, you know, that, that, 
bad shooter, a good shooter, and a phenomenal shooter. Yeah. Um, being able to jump on any type of rifle and know and know what's going to happen, and be able to um, and be able to adapt to it right away, and be like be well rounded. So, so um, I don't know if this guy listens to our podcast, but um, he had I was at the gym um, and he had messaged me on Instagram and he was asking, Hey, what caliber do you shoot? And I was like, uh, you know, six, five, six Creed. Um, you know, it depends if I've got time or not, I'll load for the six Creed and, and run that in a competition. But lately I've been, uh, running six, five, um, cause it's easier. And, um, he's like, okay. He's like, is there a big recoil difference between the six, five and the six Creed? I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, especially off your belly, there's a, there's a noticeable difference in the prone. You're not going to, you're not going to uh, see too much. Uh, but I would say the step down from six, five to six Creed is a lot more essentially in terms of recoil than going from a three away to a six, five. And that's just my personal opinion. I'm not sure yeah. why that is, but anyways, um, he was, he was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm running six, five right now. I'm going, you know, going toward, uh, uh, you know, looking to rechamber here soon. And I'm just maybe looking for like a GT or because all my buddies are running GTs to dashers. And he's like, I ha- I'm having a hard time um, seeing my impacts off my belly. And he's like, I know it's my positional and I haven't replied back to him, but, uh, I, I was going to tell him, I was like, man, it's like going to a six creator, six GT is not going to fix your fundamental issues of not being able to see your impacts. Yeah, right. That's like that's a good that thing. little bit of gap, right. That you're going to have now of, of whatever is, is not going to solve your problems. Like, you know, you have to, and, and I asked him, okay, what is your, what is your angle? Like, are you trying to be more competitive or are you trying to learn and stuff like that? And, and again, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how long he's been shooting um, and stuff like that. And if you're listening to this, man, uh, I mean, it's great, great talking point um, for all of our audiences because, you know, you will know when you are being outshot because of caliber. Mm-hmm not Car- fundamental. cartridge cartridge selection yeah, right? yeah cartridge selection yeah. not 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 uh because of fundamentals right yeah. um you know i think for me um when i was first getting into the competitive rifle scene i was shooting a 308 shooting 175 serial match kings and i shot that for quite a while you know at, at local matches and i shot my first big national level match until I went to that national level match after shooting like, you know, eight or nine, um, locals, I was like, man, I don't think I'm being outshot. I'm being right. Cause I don't yeah. think that I'm fundamentally worse than any of all these other shooters, mm-hmm. but you know, their room for forgiveness is a lot less than mine. Right. Cause I'm able to see my impacts. I'm able to, you know, whatever, but I don't know. Um, and, and I think it, everyone is just so quick to want to get, be competitive right and you know uh chase that podium it's like and learn the trade first like yeah everybody's too um, busy I, learning the tricks of the trade before yeah. they learn the trade itself and um you know one thing that we just talked about before this podcast was you know my student my first student she's 15 so i shot uh, the national rival league with her and coached her throughout and one th- one of my most proudest things was the fact that after like watching videos and, and, and because I would record her um, for every stage and I'd sit there and coach her. Um, but every time she pressed a shot and she missed even off her belly, she was able to know exactly where that shot went. 
Mm-hmm. And I've heard guys complaining with 25, 30 pound rifles, they couldn't even see their impact with the six BR or whatever Gucci caliber is out nowadays. Dude. So, um, we posted the last video that I posted was I think like a week ago or something. And I just did, it was talking about time standards and like, how do you figure out what your, you know, what your par is or what, how to progress being faster um, while maintaining accuracy. And so uh, I just shot, it was uh, five positions, whatever. I didn't care what, how, when it was, I finished. I just wanted to get five positions, five solid hits. Right, that's it. And I was going to take whatever time it took to get those hits, and then time myself and say, okay, well, um, if I want to improve, I'm going to det- I'm going to subtract uh, the the 308 run was uh, four, so it was a 440 yards, eight inch plate, and um, and the it was like 12, 15 mile an hour winds, and so I uh, shot that five hits clean in 66 seconds. And then I shot the same thing with my 6.5 PRC, um, which uh, is in a verdict stock. That rifle weighs like 17 pounds and it's got a four port um, uh, area 419 muzzle brake on it. And I shot that same run clean in 77 seconds. So 10 second difference, whatever, who cares? Somebody asked me like, why do you think you shot the one, one fast? I was like, I don't fucking know. I just took more time. I don't know. So, I was spotting my trace with the 6.5 PRC. I was spotting my trace on a 440-yard target with a 6.5 PRC. Stop it. You don't need a dasher. You don't need a GT. You need to shoot more. Yes. 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 And, okay. Thank you for bringing that up. So I deal with a lot of hunters. And this is, again, a whole other subject. Terminal ballistics, right? Everyone wants to punch big holes. Guess what? Big holes. Got to have a big you hole. You don't get better at shot placement if... I'm if you can't this. shoot. Well, yeah. <laughs> if if you can't shoot your rifle more than five to seven rounds every time you go to the range. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Like, because you're, I mean, I shoot a lot and I fucking hate shooting the big magnums. Um, I get to a point where it's like, all right, after round seven, I'm done with it because I start developing that flinch and that buck because it's like, I know it's coming right um and and that's why i enjoy the lighter calibers because now i can really work on um you know my fundamentals but you put a you put a big caliber by my hand i'm still gonna i'm still gonna run it you know what i mean i'm just not gonna run it run it 10 rounds at a time you know what i mean because it's Mm -hmm. not that's not what it's built for um but i'm getting a lot more efficient training in with a lighter caliber so you know one of the big things with me is i always try to push my class more of my students to um, you know, building a, a lighter caliber because, you know, the, the <clears throat> repetition and, and, and understanding and the shooter shackles, all this stuff, like you, you don't build that by shooting five to seven rounds at a time. You don't get better at what shooting in wind, in wind by shooting five to seven rounds at a time because you're sick of the recoil of your rifle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's throw that, throw that out there. No, it's, it's, it's all great points i mean like i would if i echoed it i'd just be preaching right so yeah you um, took down and i and i said this a lot uh how many how much game how many how much game or how many game did you shoot down in south africa um for between the between three of us we shot 45 big game animals all Um, with the six five creedmoor all the six five creedmoor (sighs) yeah shooting 143 grain eldx's um, farthest shot 
that I took on a zebra was 540 yards. <clears throat> and um, things in Africa happen really, really fast. So like you have seconds, right? Because like it's hunting scenario. There's a shit ton of animals. It's not like hunting in North America. Yeah. You're trying to pick out one critter in a group of like 50 of them yeah. in some situations and it yeah. shit happens fast. It just really, and you have to be quick and you have to yeah. know what your capabilities are. You have to know what your limitations are. And most of those shots guys were all taken from the standing position behind homemade shooting sticks. Awesome. From your pHs. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's a perfect actually transition into what we also wanted to talk about is kind of, um, you know, we were talking a little bit of curriculum development uh, hopefully I'm not, we're not bouncing around here. Um, we were talking no, about how to be good. good and you know, you talk about standing off, off, off sticks. So <laughs> I think what we wanted to talk about is, is where is the standard or, um, you, you're a lot better at this than I did the, with these transitions. Okay. Go yeah. ahead. I'm going to just pass it off to you because I don't see how <laughs> I'm talking about. All right. So, um, so, uh, writing, writing a standard that does not exist is the hardest thing to do. Yes. Um, it's really, really challenging and you have to take a lot of data points. You have to be really, really objective and you have to, you know, put your own wants, needs, emotional needs and desires aside. Like you have to look at it very objectively. And so I started it. I was teaching a, a, a one day class to some shooters and we were talking about um, standing on a barricade and they were looking at my barricades and they were like, man, it really just really sucks being short. And I'm like, yeah, well it's, I, I would agree because you guys are not well represented when it comes to understanding what standards are. And so they were like, Oh, what does that mean? And I said, okay, well, Okay, so if I had you shoot from this barricade right here, that's a standing position for me, mm -hmm. which means by definition from is just me, Kalen, saying, okay, well, a standing position is me standing straight up, right? And having my center of gravity centered from my, you know, drawing a line from the center of my spine right down through my body and having everything centered and connected to the rifle, standing at a barricade or a tripod, whatever a fucking tree branch who cares so that height of whatever my rifle is supported on needs to be plus or minus two inches from the center of your sternum right to be in my personal opinion to be classified as a true standing position so we've all seen people like shoot from the the super low standing position right where you where your ass is sticking out and you're trying to do the balancing act between not shoving the rifle off the bar uh, off the barricade or whatever maintaining balance because your center of gravity is all jacked up that is not a proper test of a shooter's ability to achieve a standing position that is a test of a shooter's ability to improvise based upon an irregular height on an object and so when it comes to shooting competitions, the match directors need to figure out, okay, what are we testing this, the shooter's ability on? Okay. Are we testing their ability to adapt to a situation or a scenario? 
or are we testing their ability to shoot from the standing position? And the same thing holds true for kneeling positions. And, you know, we talked about it and um, there's the, the five positions that we kind of discussed before this podcast were a high standing, which by my definition would be a neutral standing position, right? That would be a position that you could sustain for a long amount of time, right? You fall asleep behind your rifle. Exactly. I could just sit there, just hold that gun. Okay. Then we said the mid standing, which is the kind of the, the hinge at the waist, the ass sticking out type thing. Okay. It's too, it's too high to kneel. It's too high to kneel, but it's it's too low to to, to stand. So now we're improvising, right? We're trying to use our bodies. It's adaptation. Yes. We're trying to use our body structure to establish a natural point of aim based upon an irregular height. Okay. And then we have high kneeling. And by my definition, high kneeling is a position where you can connect the shooting elbow to the shooting knee. Right. Right, to establish uh, a supported position. And then we have the low kneeling, which I would suppose by definition, you could say either the buttstock of the rifle comes in contact with the shooting knee or it's low enough that you have to get onto two knees. Yeah. yeah right. I, Cause that's a touch that I guess you could, you know, you could go round and round with that one, I suppose. The kneeling is the most dynamic position that I think, um, that it's most overlooked, right? Um, uh, meaning, you know, I think there's a, a lot of heights, especially when you, in terms of cover that mm-hmm. cover uh, a, a wide range, uh, wide variety of kneeling positions that it's going to be your most versatile, you know, in and out and, and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I would say that there's like a high mid and low sure. and, and the high would be, you know, I've got both knees together, right? Cause that's going to be the most vertical position that I have. And, and I'm a double kneeling guy. So I never throw my right, my, my right knee up. Um, you know, there's certain, I would say 99% of the times we're going to double knee. And then the 1% of the time it's based off of, you know, maybe, uh, the barricades too far away or whatever the case might be. But 99% of the time I'm, I'm my, my go-to kneeling is double kneeling on all three mid high, mid and low. Um, the, the low kneeling is where time is of the essence, but in theory I could, I could sit. Right. Right. Exactly. But because it's so, I mean, if you look at getting into a sitting position, especially for some people, the sitting position takes a lot longer to set up and get out of, right. Especially if you are cross-legged sitting, you know, you probably very first thing that comes to your head when you, when you think sitting position is, uh, both elbow points of contact in the cracks of my, in the crack of my knee. Right. <laughs> so you try to establish those two points. Whereas the double kneeling, it's just like, okay, you roll just right into your double knees. You know that you, you don't have any kind of rear elbow support, but you're just relying on, you know, that center that, of gravity, center of gravity, you know, and all that stuff. Right. And people are listening to this like, Holy shit. <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, and I've looked at videos in the past just as, you know, and it's like, it's like, Oh man, I could have done a, a double or I could have done a sitting there because right. Um, but I just didn't have time because my brain was thinking about that. My brain was thinking, okay, I need to get in and out of this position real quick. So kneeling is going to be, or if it's like, if, if it's the very first position, guess what? I'm going to take my sweet ass time. If that very first shot, this goes into like, you know, competitive rifle shooting. You know, if I'm, if, if the 
question of wind is unknown and whatever and the position presents itself to where it's like that sitting position i'm going to take a sitting because i know it's going to be my most stable position right right and i'm going to know for a fact if i miss that target 100 it's because of wind mm-hmm. yeah. right I don't ever want to question wind call and a bad, bad position. That's intuition, right? That's, that's just having experience and intuition to know what, what to do. Um, so, but with regard to the standards though, like if we talk about this and we're like, okay, so the, the quote that the PRS barricade stages, um, well, that barricade height might be perfect for me. Or the average size male. It, you can't even do that. You can't even do the average size male because no. people's torsos are of different heights and you know, like you can't even do that. You have to, my, this is just me. This is my personal opinion is that you need to identify each individual shooter and say, you have a fucking adjustable barricade, right? Just think of like a, you know, something that you could use to adjust right? And like, I don't give a shit who invents the goddamn thing. It doesn't matter to me. But as long as you were able to say, okay, Phil, before you shoot this stage, hey, this is your, this is your height for kneeling. This is your height for standing. Okay. So now we're going to test you on your ability to shoot from the kneeling position and the standing position. It has everything to do with body size. It has nothing to do with the height of the barricade. And that's where like, like that's what it, when you start talking about standards, that's what you have to do. You have to say, okay, this is the end goal. We're going to work backwards now. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and you have to be able to pick it all apart and you have to be able to say, all right, so what is it that we're actually testing this person on their ability to do what? And so, yeah, that's just, uh, that's just my little rant, I suppose. I don't know. Was it a rant? I don't know if it was. No, I mean, so essentially Keeley, Frank Galley, all of our, you know, smaller frame shooters, we hear you, right? When you go to a match and you have this PRS barricade and you got to shoot two, 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 and two, you know, you're at a straight disadvantage because not only was one thing that, again, shooters don't really think about until they're up to that position. They got to throw their freaking two to four inch bag on top right now mm-hmm. that elevates their position a lot higher. And guess what? Right. They're on their tippy toes, right? Yep. And again, that's an adaptation to a shooting position. Exactly. Um, and that's but, not, that yeah, is that, not that, a- that you're not, you're not comparing, you're not comparing uh, oranges, apples to apples, right? You're right. so yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, and I think, the biggest thing I think the, what, what solves that really is the tripod, right? In, sure. in the sense that like, of hey, you, with a tripod, you make that tripod work around you, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what the um, friggin' things are. That's why we started shooting off of them. Exactly. So, um, you know, I did it at, at, at our Monster Lake, um, Monster Lake Mayhem last year at, at you know, my modern positional where they had to shoot mm-hmm. um, through the barricade or about at certain heights. Mm-hmm. And the guys that did well, they, they knew their positions, right? Mm-hmm. The guys that didn't do well, they, I mean, they didn't know how to adjust their tripods with their tripod. They just kind of was like, all right, let me just make this clearing. Mm-hmm. But I made it specifically around you understanding what, where your position is on that tripod, as long right. as you were going to, because I gave a pretty generous room for forgiveness based off of your height to to clear mm-hmm. that certain barricade right 
and uh, yeah, it's understanding, you know, your position and I call it a baseline, right? You talked about, Hey, and that's with tripod shooting is trying to figure out, okay, where's your baseline? Meaning where am I, like you said, well, as I'm standing straight up where my center of gravity is, you know, straight down to my hips where I'm not starting to lean over because right. the second that you, there's a certain angle on everyone's body, right? Where once they start to lean over, it's funny because this is a podcast and I'm making all these hand gestures. <laughs> eventually like, we'll get yeah. our shit on YouTube. Yeah, eventually. So if you vision, envision me, uh, I like to talk with my hands. For those who have seen me, I'm sticking my right hand up right now and I'm, I'm angling it down like my back, right? There's a certain angle to where now you're firing up your lower back and your, mm-hmm. your, um, your glutes just to keep, you know, uh, essentially balance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well now, you know, all of that imbalance and, you know, muscular tension translates straight into your rifle. And that's where you start to see, right. Uh, that wobble zone increase and stuff like that, just because again, you're throwing off your center of gravity, but yeah, but like you said, it's a, it's an adaptation of your, uh, uh, of your standing position or your kneeling position yeah. or whatever the case may be, but and not, not, yeah, not too many people have a, a, ba- a basic understanding of that. Yep. And it's one of those things, man, that if you're going to, uh, it's just my, this is my opinion that if you're, if you're going to start testing and holding standards, then that it definitely needs to be addressed in the competitive yeah. space. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, um, that's a lot. That, bro that's, <laughs> that's a lot, a lot. um not bouncing around too much no i like the. No, i mean I like that thing's good right you know yeah we haven't chatted in a long time so it's no, kind of, there's, there's so much stuff that, to yeah, talk about a lot of stuff to talk about um, we got I, so much cool shit coming man i'm just super excited super excited yeah the summer is gonna have we got classes going we've got some really cool stuff coming from modern day sniper in the virtual space in the summertime that i'm extremely excited about and, um, you know, the, the online stuff has been badass. We're, uh, we're about to release uh, fundamentals of marksmanship, which is super cool. I'm really excited about that. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, this, the online schoolhouse is continuing to take shape and it's growing and growing, which we're really, really grateful for. So thank you guys for listening and thank you guys for, uh, for paying us visits. So um, um, there was one other thing. There was one other thing. Oh, it was the line of white. Line of white. The line of white. So <laughs> you told me about the line of white, and I, I told you like, about. I oh, told you about a day. I told you about a daylight windhold. A daylight windhold. And I was like, oh yeah, it's kind of like line of white. Yeah. And so um, I think this, like, it, this is a good uh, kind of like circle back to that well-rounded shooter. You know, the difference between a bad, good shooter and a phenomenal shooter is that well-rounded thing because um so you can shoot one rifle really really well um but you might not be able to shoot all rifles really really well or yeah. all firearms really really well and so like the, the technique the line of white thing um you're like no what are you talking about with that and so this is a technique with iron sights that was taught to me and for our qualification course in the Marine Corps before they started shooting ACOGs, it was all, it was iron sights. 
And part of that was you had, you shot 200 yards and then 300 yards and 500 yards. 500 yards is 10 rounds stationary at a full size echo silhouette, which is a 20 inch wide by 40 inch tall silhouette target. And a hit's a hit, right? So um, with a front sight post on an M16A2 service rifle, it's, it's wider than the target itself, right? And then depending on mirage conditions and, and lighting conditions, like you could get totally hammered by having bad lighting conditions when you're shooting with iron sights. doesn't matter how many smudge, how much smudge you got on the sight picture to, to dull it out. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Or the front sight doesn't matter. So a technique that was taught to me was the line of white, which meant that as I was my natural point of aim would be where I would see just a faint line of white in between my front sight post and the bottom of the echo silhouette target. And what that's doing is it's giving me a precise placement of sight picture. And right, we always talk about aiming small and missing small. And we say, okay, well, how, if you didn't know that, you would never know how high you were on that echo silhouette. You never know where you were truly left or right either, depending on the mirage conditions. But if you always had a line of white at the bottom of that target, you just zero your, you, you zero your sight. So the bullets hit center in the echo silhouette with that sight picture. And dude, it's like you, we started doing that stuff at the 200 and you would walk off the 200 an expert and you were just like, yeah, whatever, man, that's just shooting. And that's like being a well-rounded shooter in my, in my personal opinion. That's not just because I do it. It's because yeah. it's a technique that you're not going to be exposed to unless you actually go do it and shoot in a wide variety of different scenarios. And you would dope your, you would dope your iron sights for yes. that, for that exactly. uh, line of white and knowing that your impacts are still going to go center mass. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's one thing to keep in mind, guys, is like he's doping his iron sights for that offset. It's, it's essentially an offset, mm -hmm. yeah, kind of yeah. in theory, right? So yeah, no, I like that. That's 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 super cool. I was um I was fortunate to be able to qualify and with iron sights as well. My first my first uh, after that we all went to ACOGs and ACOGs. stuff like that. ACOGs it's, and sh and shooting mats. Shooting mats. You guys had shooting mats. What? I think like two years later, like someone like, I don't know. I don't know the story, but we ended up having to start shooting off bats. It was crazy. What yeah. the fuck? Yeah. Man. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's a huge bummer right there. <laughs> no, um, um, but it's, it's, it's also a thing like, um, oh, shooting like red dots, um, red dots on a handgun, red dots on a carbine, you know, stuff like that. You know, it's like not, it all translates, but all it's the little nuances that are in there that, you know, especially like handgun shooting. Like I try to stay as, I try to stay as proficient on a handgun as I can because I really enjoy shooting a handgun. Um, and it's challenging. It really, really makes you focus and makes you think. Um, so the, the, the line of white actually stemmed from a wind call that I heard heard. <laughs> and, and again, so the guys in my squad at NRL, so I'd say uh, out of the six of us, two of them um, I hadn't never trained before, mm -hmm. um, but we've shot together. 
so the other four, or sorry, there's six of us. So the other three, so Pete, Peyton, my young gun, and then uh, Jeff and Eric, uh, who also listen to this podcast, they were in my squad. And they were actually one of my first set of civilians when I left the Marine Corps to, you know, um, in my, in between my time from the Marine Corps to Gunworks, right? I, mm-hmm. I think there was about a month month there. So I did a little private class for them and and, uh, and stuff like that. Um, again, not understanding good curriculum flow or whatever to condense what I knew of teaching nine weeks into now freaking two days or one day of, of their time. Um, but a lot of it, you know, they knew ballistics when, when they, you know, so all I really had to do was teach them technique and fundamentals of archership. But, uh, so they're all, they're all, they're all, they're all in my squad and, uh, you know, we get ready to go shoot, shoot the stage. And I think the question was asked like, Hey, what's, what's your opening wind call? <laughs> <laughs> and I think they did this to fuck with me because they know, right? They know that I always want quantifiable information, right? Not none of this left dead shit. As much as like we post that shit all over fucking Facebook, whatever, it's like no quantifiable information. So the wind call gets thrown out, or no, 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 no. <laughs> he uh, someone gets done shooting, and then, uh, and then they get off, and then the guy on on deck says, Hey, what was your last wind call? <laughs> he said, I had a little bit of daylight on the left edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, Oh hell no, dude. Are you serious right now? <laughs> so, and, and, uh, again, man, I'm going to, uh, this podcast is probably going to leave release on Wednesday. So if you guys are listening to this in the morning, stand by for a whiteboard Wednesday and I'm going to draw it on the board for you you know, why it's always good to quantify your holds, right? Mm -hmm. Because we can only focus on one thing, right? When we're looking through the scope, right? Whether it be left edge or actual, uh, you know, our our hold in in tenths of a mil or or MOA, whatever you guys are rocking right now. Um, But, you know, for me, I'm always going to quantify my information. And and again, Peyton did it. You know, I I told her, I was like, hey, don't listen to what these guys are saying. (laughs) I was like, hey, stay true to the wind calls that I told you, you know, hold, you know, four, six, eight tenths, uh, you know, regardless of how much that brings you off the target, your, your aim point on that reticle is whatever that wind call is on the center mass of the target. Mm-hmm. And then if you miss, yeah. we'll make corrections from there. So yeah. it's the way to do it. So yeah, we had a good, we had a good wind day yesterday, man. Like it was just intro to long range and yeah. it was like 25 miles an hour switching from, you know, it was one of those days where it was like a constant 13 to 16 ish. And then it would just like, whoa, then back off, go to 13, 16, and then fucking come right back in your face. And it was challenging for him to shoot. And I saw the weather report. Um, if you guys haven't looked at the, at the wind app called windy, uh, w I N D Y you really, really should. It's a fantastic wind prediction app. Um, that's super accurate. I use it for a lot of other outdoor activities like skydiving where, um, I kind of really need to know what the winds are doing. No bullshit. And my buddies that are paragliders turn me on to it. And windy is a really, really cool app. It's, it's extremely accurate too. So, um, it's got visual representations of what the wind's doing through graphics and um, in real time, which is super cool. So I would highly encourage everybody to have a look at that app and, and, um, and see what's what. So man, 
This was good. Dude, this dude. was, this good. was a lot of fun. Yeah, this is well needed. I was looking forward to this when you texted me. It's like, I thought you'd never ask, man. It's been, yeah. it's, I, I've uh, been busy, you know, uh, Zoe's out for the summer for a little bit. She's spending time with grandma. Uh, it gave me some time to kind of start doing some, some actual tours around the house, like putting shit away and whatnot. So I spent all this past weekend doing while everyone was having fun shooting, but you know, shooting will always be there. Um, I'm, I've got kind of like my yes. studio set up now. Shooting uh, will always be there, man. Yeah. So, um, no, it was yeah, good to catch the, up the, on, uh, the studio good looks up. good. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing to improve upon it and, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what the sound looks like. I think I need to add a little bit more acoustic panels, um, on this wall. So it doesn't echo as, as much, it's but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing more podcasts down here. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I mean, in, in our studio as well, if you guys I like your studio background training. a lot more than mine. It's just that that that, that like wood has old a scrap. Really cool. It's old scrap wood. So we're <sighs> I'm actually doing a shit ton of work on the on the property. We're calling it Operation Homestead. We're putting in a I got to build a, a retaining wall, and then that's where we're going to do um, some raised vegetable garden beds. So cool. we're a little bit behind, which is kind of a bummer, but it is what it is. It's life, but. Uh, Nonetheless, it's getting done and it's been really nice to work outside. We've had a super, super nice beginning of the summer here. This time last year, we were already up into like the mid nineties and it's like today it rained and it's been, you know, highs of 70. So it's been really nice. Nice to work outside. Um, did you watch that video that I posted on my uh, Facebook the other day or was it yet last night or today? Uh, have you ever seen the movie Almost Heroes with Chris Farley? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it, yeah, it's, it's like I think it's a spoof about um, who is that? Lewis and Clark. Um. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it, it, there's a it's Matt Perry and yes, he's uh, teaching uh, uh, Chris Farley the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, dude, the the scene is just so perfect. When uh, first time I ever watched it was the other night with Ben. He showed it, showed the movie to me. But I mean, that scene could be any more perfect than what my students have to go through or what there's going in their head when I'm trying to teach them <laughs> MOA. And it's I thought it was I thought it was a classic. If you guys are listening to it or listening to this, you guys know what the hell I'm talking about. Just YouTube, uh, uh, Chris Farley, um, or almost home. Uh, yeah. Um, teaching scene and yeah, it'll, it'll pop up. And, and that's essentially how my students feel when I'm trying to teach them minutes of angle for the first time. So. <laughs> well, but man, this was good. This was awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to getting back in the swing of things uh, again to everyone that's listening in uh, supporting not only the modern day sniper podcast, but modern day sniper, uh, the plank holders, the guys that are signing up for online training uh, again. Yeah. Caleb, Dude, my hats off to you and Cass for the amount of work that you guys are putting in to to make that ba- to make your baby essentially and seeing it kind of uh, uh, come to fruition. It, it's, it's been, been a long cool, time. man. It's been a long time coming since we talked at Shot Show, even before Shot Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, if you're listening, well, Brian, dude, great great work on not only the podcast but the the videography uh, that you did with uh, with Kalen. And you know, the only the only way is up from here, man. 
Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited. Um, so our plank holders, guys, if you um, are a plank holder and you have not checked your email, get after it. Um, your Fundamentals of Marksmanship course is live for you guys that are plank holders, and we are going to be releasing Fundamentals of Marksmanship this week. So guys, if you're not already signed up on to um, uh, our email newsletter, go ahead and get done now and, uh, and or go check out the uh, modern day sniper online schoolhouse and you will see all the stuff that we got going on there. And uh, thank you guys so much for being uh, so receptive. Thank you guys for being great listeners. You're a great audience. We love the questions and um, keep them coming, man. Keep them coming. So ne until next time, until next time, guys, you know, the drill, keep your face on the gun. Shoot. Well,